from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Bombshell right now in a very rare, rare move. DFACS, Department of Family Children's Services, uh, CPS, Child Protective Services, two workers have been criminally charged for neglect in a case that led to a brutal and repulsive death for a little boy. Those are the words of the judge that heard the case. A brutal and repulsive death. For this little boy, why? Because defects ignored everything the child tortured and killed. I want justice, and I hope you do too. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know, at the very beginning, when I try to speak to juries, I try to sugarcoat, um, airbrush the horrible details of certain cases. Well, it didn't take me long. It was my very first trial, and halfway through it, I realized you cannot airbrush the truth. You can't sugarcoat the truth. In fact, as harsh as it is, we must confront it Why? To seek justice. Why? So that it doesn't happen again. First of all, take a listen to this. 911, what's your address of your emergency? 94 Dole Avenue, Crystal Lake, Illinois. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Um, We uh, we have a missing child. Um, Woke up this morning and uh, he wasn't... wasn't, How old is the child? The innocent child. Yeah, how old is he? He's five. And what was he last seen wearing? Um, a Mario, uh, like blue, long sleeve sweatshirt and uh, a black sweatpants. And is he a uh, male white? Yes. And when was the last time you seen him? Uh, last night, uh, probably 
Uh, when he went to bed. Okay. Are you the father? Yes. Wow. He sure sounds calm, cool, and collected to have a little boy missing. A five-year-old little boy missing out of his own bed. Hasn't seen him since 9.30 the night before. You know, maybe it's just me, but I go in and check on the children all during the night. Every time I get up, I go peep at them. Uh, sometimes, if I'm especially worried, I make sure they're breathing. He hasn't seen them since 9.30 the night before, and he's so calm on the phone. Maybe I'm projecting, but I don't like it. Joining me, an all-star panel to break it down and put it back together again. First of all, renowned family law specialist, Randy Kessler, joining me out of the Atlanta jurisdiction. Ashley Kelly, licensed clinical social worker, expertise, child abuse, a former DFACS worker, and that is critical right now. Dr. Daniel Bober, chief of psychiatry, Memorial Regional Healthcare Systems, assistant clinical professor at Yale School of Medicine. You can find him on Insta at Dr. Daniel Bober. Jennifer Shen, forensic scientist, former San Diego Police Department, and ShenForensics.com. Dr. Kendall Crowns, deputy medical examiner, Travis County, Texas. That's Austin. But first to CrimeOnline.com, investigator, reporter, and foster parent, Nicole Parton. Nicole, do we have any idea what time of the day or night it was that AJ's dad calls to report him missing? He called the following morning. So he claims that they saw him last at 930 in the evening. And it was the following morning, very early, that he made that 911 call and reported him missing. I'm trying to figure out about what time of the morning. Um, but I noticed his calm, cool, and collected demeanor. Let's hear a little bit more. Of AJ's dad. Do you know where he might have went? No. Um, we can't with the neighborhood. Yeah, I went to the local park, um, the, the, the local gas station down here where we sometimes take him to buy treats. Um, I spoke with the assistant principal over there at the school where the park is, and they, they haven't seen uh, him or any other child. I, I have no idea where he would be. Okay. So you put him to bed last night, so he was in his pajamas, and then when you tried yes. to get him for school, he wasn't there, and then you left around for a bit? Yes. What time was he supposed to be at school? Well, he didn't go to school, but I had a doctor's appointment this morning. When I got back from the doctor's appointment, um, and I checked in on him, said good morning, and he wasn't there, so that would have been what time was that? about between 8.15 and 8.30. Wait, wait, let me understand. He checked this morning and he wasn't there. This is 8.15. And he says to you, Nicole Parton, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, who has been covering this case from the beginning, he says uh, that he checks on him between 8.15 and 8.30, that he wasn't going to school that day, that he had a doctor's appointment, and he had already gone to the gas station? Right. Canvas the neighborhood and the local park. That's what he's saying to the 911 operator. That's what he's saying. And he's making it sound like he had already been to the doctor, looked around everywhere, and was back home checking in on him 8 15, 8 30. Randy Kessler joining me, our renowned defense attorney and family law specialist. If you're having to go to the gas station, to look for your five-year-old child? Didn't you 
Yep, something didn't you miss a beat. Calling 911 before you go to a gas station? It could be before H-E-L-L freezes over that I go to a gas station to look for a mi- one of my missing twins before I call 911. That doesn't even make sense, Kessler. 1,000%. And I, uh, I, I winced when I heard you say that you sugarcoat things because it's been a long time, Nancy, and you don't sugarcoat anything, and this is one that nobody can sugarcoat this. This guy is full of it. There's no chance in a million years unless he just didn't love his child and didn't care for his child and sort of wanted him to be missing, which in hindsight looks like might be the case. Um, what do you make of his demeanor? Because you're in the sorry situation of having to defend extremely calm, cool demeanors when a jury or me, I would expect them to be going crazy. I mean, I'm not going to recount in full when John David went missing at a big warehouse, Babies Are Us place, because some mom put me on a guilt trip about her homemade organic sunscreen. So I'm on the bottom. The shells go from the floor up all the way down there looking for organic sunscreen. I turn around. John David's gone. Gone. And all I could think of was Adam Walsh, John Walsh's son that went missing from a Sears and Roebuck. His mom was about two aisles overlooking at lamps. Um, I, I wasn't like that. I screamed bloody murder. I grabbed Lucy like a football and started running through the store, screaming for them to lock the doors. So what about that, Kessler? How do you defend that demeanor at trial? Well, the demeanor is a problem for sure. Man, but you're not kidding. We know people People mm-hmm. act all sorts of ways. And, and God oh, here we any go. Of us forever in that situation. People act all on, different ways. Where, they do act all different ways. And nobody's the same. And nobody acts the same. And so that's not enough to convict. But. Did I ask else, you, was it enough um, to convict? Did I ask you that? I did not. I asked you um, what you made no, of it and how you defended at trial. That's what I asked you. you. You say exactly what I said, which is, who knows how any of us would act? None of you on the jury, thank goodness, have hopefully been through this. And I wouldn't judge you just based on your reaction. I would have to have pure, good, convincing evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. And a reaction and a non-reaction, a bad reaction, is not evidence enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was guilty. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. We are talking about a major, major departure from precedent. Two defects, Department of Family Children Services workers have been criminally charged because of their alleged neglect in the case of a little boy, five-year-old AJ, who is dead. Now, Randy Kessler, a renowned defense attorney out of Atlanta, family law specialist, says, well, you know what? You can't judge a scenario based on the parent being perfectly calm during the 911 call. Oh, hi. I can't find my son. (laughs) Okay, well, you know what? Take a listen to Charlie DeMar, WBBM, CBS 2. AJ's mother, who's seven months pregnant, is not cooperating with police, even refusing to take a polygraph test. And new tonight, people here in Crystal Lake are being asked to take a closer look at their home surveillance cameras starting last Monday around 7 a.m. all the way until last Thursday around 9. Of course, the same day AJ was reported missing. These women don't know Andrew Friend personally, but tonight they're wrapping ribbons for his return. We want them to think about AJ and, um, you know, pray for 
whatever outcome, just most importantly, that he's found. First and foremost, it's a, it's a kid. It doesn't matter whose kid or why or when or what or how, it's, it's a child. AJ's mother, Joanne Cunningham, no longer cooperating with detectives. Her attorney says he advised her to stop talking once it became clear Crystal Lake Police considered her a suspect. Her attorney saying in a statement, Joanne is emotionally, mentally, and physically fragile after five days with no sign of AJ and no information as to the progress of the search for her son. Well, if she is so fragile to you, Jennifer Shen, forensic scientist, why won't she take a polygraph if she's so upset about AJ being missing, then why won't she hook up and take a poly? I mean, could you explain to us, Jennifer Shen, what is a polygraph? How does it work? A polygraph uh, is a way to test your body's responses to questions. And when we lie, our body responds. Even if we don't think it great or sweating, everything reacts. So when you take a polygraph and you ask someone a question and they lie, then we can measure those responses and tell that they're lying. And, um, you know, when we have these missing child cases, that's one of the very first things that always happens is that they ask the parents to take polygraphs so that they can put, you know, put their suspicions about the parents aside and then focus on everything else. So it is a big red flag when someone doesn't want to do that. And most defense attorneys don't want their clients to take polygraphs because um, oftentimes it doesn't go well for them. Dr. Daniel Bober, i got to ask you a tough question, and don't sling a lot of psychiatric mumbo-jumbo at me. I'm just a trial lawyer. Why do people abuse children? Why do you beat on a child? I will never forget. John David has only been spanked like once in his whole life. Turns out it was Lucy's fault, by the way. Lucy, on the other hand, has gotten multiple swats on the booty. Now, this was when she was a little girl and would have on a big, thick diaper a pull-up, for things like trying to run out into the street or sneaking up behind John, John David with a wooden block and beating him about the head and face. But I'm talking about slapping them, um, beating them, denying food from them, belittling them. What mindset is it that you want to mistreat what I believe to be God's greatest gift to us. Nancy, very often these are very damaged people themselves. They have no coping skills. They have a low frustration tolerance. And so a lot of times they'll just take it out on the kid because they can't manage the stress. I could see that. Um, not that I condone it, but I understand what you're saying. That you have a bad reaction when you can't cope or you can't handle stress on your own. But for instance, when parents single out one child and I don't mean just flying off the handle and swatting them. I mean locking them in their closet, forcing them to urinate on the floor, starving them until they die. That's a more systematic abuse as opposed to losing your temper and hitting them. Not that I agree with that either. But, uh, oh, and I'd like to point out that the few times Lucy, which is in a total three times in her life. She got swatted on her rear end. It made no difference, by the way. It just, nothing. Timeout worked a lot better for us until I, she could get right out of timeout. So, you know, that, that's a conundrum wrapped in mystery. 
so why would there be systematic abuse? Bober, you're a, not just a psychiatrist, you're a forensic psychiatrist. So give me something specific. Why would you systematically torture a child? That's not a coping mechanism. Well, a lot of people who abuse obviously have been abused themselves. So that sets up all kinds of things like different personality disorders. So, you know, they some people, although they might be in the minority, actually derive pleasure from doing it um, as a way of dealing with their own trauma. So I'm not excusing it or condoning it. I'm just trying to explain it. What do you, okay, what's the name of the person that takes pleasure in torturing someone? A sadist? Someone who's sadistic, yeah. And what about when you have a partner in it, when your wife or your husband goes along with you and doesn't say, stop, what are you doing? Well, very often those people in those situations are, you know, people themselves that have been abused and they feel like they have to go along with their, with their partner because their self-esteem is so low and they're so beaten down. That they don't feel like they have, they have a voice or they can speak up for themselves. You know, I'm just thinking about it. I, I want to go to Ashley Kelly, <clears throat> licensed clinical social worker, her expertise, child abuse. A former defects worker, Ashley, you know, the big bombshell is that defects workers have now, just now, in a rare departure from precedent, been criminally charged the way they handle AJ's case after years of systematic torture on this child, multiple dozens of calls to defects and police, and they left the baby in the home. You know, the other day, Ashley... My husband jumped up and said a curse word in front of the children. And I'll make no uh, pretense about it. I tore him a brand new three-bedroom, three-bath butthole for cursing in front of the children. Okay? Okay. Long story short, how could one parent stand by and watch the other parent abuse and torture the child i know you had to see that during your practice i did and it's difficult to answer i i've attributed it to similar to group mentality during um criminal activity um i don't know what the factor is or what that is um i know that when we've talked about other child abuse cases out of california and things like that sometimes both adults um, find pleasure in in that. I like what you said, Ashley, about group mentality, because Randy Kessler, I'll never forget the first case I had. We called it wilding, where a group of teens would rape, murder, uh, just go wild. And some of them had never been in trouble before. When you're in a pack, Pack mentality takes over. I wonder if one of these parents was not um, predisposed to this, but because they were together doing it, they did things they would never have done on their own. Have you ever seen that? As Ashley Kelly, social worker, just said, uh, she said group mentality. I said pack mentality, same thing. You ever seen that, Kessler? You know, I've seen parents that, that neither one wants to bring up the facts, and it is sort of like a peer pressure in a horrible way a horrible example of peer pressure but i've seen it in our divorce cases where both parents know they've not been good at treating a child and you know i've had custody battles where you look at it and you say thank goodness you're getting a divorce because now the court can look at what's going on with this family because there are a lot of very intact families that do horrible stuff but yes people provoke each other they're afraid to tattle they're afraid to tell for all sorts of reasons well you know what caster i know you're talking about afraid because i see a lining up at defense here but 
It's not one parent cowering, cowering in fear as the other person tortures little AJ. They're both doing it. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. In a rare departure from Preston, everyone, today is a major major victory for children all across the U.S. because social workers, DFACs, Department of Family Children and Services workers have ignoring this boy's case. In a case that a judge, who judges hardly ever say anything, called his murder repulsive. That's how bad it was. Listen to this. Take a listen to our friend Tara Molina, WBBM, CBS2. Last September, someone told police the family was living without power and bad living conditions. When police arrived to check it out, they found grass two feet high. Joanne Cunningham wouldn't let them in, but later admitted she and the boys were living without power for some time. The latest visit, December. Police found dog feces and urine throughout the house, reporting it was cold and the windows were falling apart. The house, quote, cluttered, dirty, and in disrepair. But that's not all. An officer wrote, quote, in the room where the boys slept, the window was open and the smell of feces was overwhelming. And that one of the boys had, quote, a large bruise on his right hip. He said their mom stated it must have been from the dog. So why wasn't anything done then? We know the Department of Children and Family Services also made a visit to this home in December for a second investigation into possible neglect. We're told the allegations were determined to be unfounded. To Dr. Kendall Crowns, Deputy Medical Examiner, Travis County, that's Austin, Texas. Dr. Crowns, I know you have had the sad occasion to autopsy children. What goes through your mind when you see them covered in bruises? Uh, the main thing that goes through your mind is that you want to determine the cause of death and get the best answer possible so as to help prevent uh, something like that from occurring again. It's always difficult to see a, a, a child that's been killed that, you know, had it been put up for adoption, someone would have taken that child and loved it and raised it as their own. So it's always very difficult to see a dead child, especially one that's been beaten to death. You know, I hear you, Dr. Crowns. There have been times in front of a jury that I wanted to cry. I, I, well, I couldn't stop from crying. I did not cry in front of the jury, but I felt like I was going to. And to you, Randy Kessler, you're a, no stranger to the courtroom, veteran trial lawyer in multiple jurisdictions, joining us out of Atlanta today. The one time I teared up, I asked to be excused from the courtroom and left, got it together and came back, and it was child abuse homicide case. The girl was about two years old. She was a complete vegetable. And because of HIPAA, I had gotten a a, a bundle of medical records late. Of course, when the trial came, I had to go forward with what I had. And as I was just flipping through them, I couldn't use them because I hadn't given them to the other side. I had a trial for discovery, but they, I was looking at them sitting in courtroom as the defense attorney was saying something and I saw where this little girl two years old in a coma had covered in bruises and cigarette burns had been raped 
And I, I thought for that moment what this child's life had been like. And I was so overwhelmed. You know, Randy, teachers had to see bruises, cigarette burns, the little boy malnutritioned. I mean, they had to see it before he actually died. A horrible death, Randy. Neighbors, they had to know. They're having a vigil. That's all well and good. But why not say something in life, Randy? 1,000%. We need more good Samaritans in this world. But Nancy, will you come guest teach my law school trial practice class? Because there's nothing wrong with being authentic. I mean, you weren't crying to try to make an effect on the jury. You did the right thing to try no, to No, I left the courtroom. I did not cry in front of the jury like a weakling. I did it in a bathroom stall. Yeah, but you know what? You're authentic, and they can see how it touched you, and that's why you were effective and a great prosecutor. And um, if you had seen that on the side of the street, you would have said something. You saw it in the courtroom. It affected you. Why doesn't it affect everybody like that? I have no idea. Um. Let me ask you something, Ashley Kelly, licensed clinical social worker, great social worker. Her expertise, child abuse, former defects or CPS. Ashley, you know, that was a, an issue I had as a prosecutor. And even now, it still gets me very upset and distraught when I review or cover cases. But I believe some people have to become jaded or stoic so they can keep going so they can go to work the next day but in this line of business if you become stoic or cold-hearted the children are done for right that definitely does happen and I absolutely um, at the end of my time there was burnt out and I knew that that was my time to leave um it's very easy to do not just because of the content, but because of the overwhelm that happens in most of the states in our country. Um, it just becomes a point that you're in survival mode and you're having to do whatever you need to do to get through the day. Okay, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir, Ashley. I know I was it. so saturated with violent crime. I started off, I had, a, I had an uh, addiction to calm down to go to court. I had to watch one hour of Little House on the Prairie in the mornings. Then it got so bad at the end, I would have to watch two hours of Little House on the Prairie. I'd have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to get a Little House on the Prairie fix to calm down to go into court and put the a-holes behind bars. It's just... Okay, you know how you were hearing about the house was filthy and it smelled like dog feces? They had to open a window in the cold in this little boy's room so you couldn't smell the dog feces and urine? Well, take a listen to Patrick Elwood, WGN9. There's a real turnaround. Listen. In the home, police soon found laundry that smelled of bleach and at least four bleach bottles and Drew's gym shoes with dripping wet mud. Under questioning from detectives, the couple tried to explain away the shopping list. Tape to be used for hanging pictures. Bleach to clean the premises. At least one bottle a week they went through. Detectives were skeptical of the night. Drew said perhaps she was searching CPR for babies in anticipation of her coming child. Joanne is seven months pregnant, despite her already having two babies. Again, Detectives were skeptical. Days later, on April 23rd, with the help of the FBI, investigators were able to recover a deleted video of Joanne's cell phone, a two-minute video of her berating A.J. for urinating on his bed. 
in that video, AJ can be seen naked except for a few bandages around his wrists and hips. Hey, Nicole, Nicole Parton, I just want to vomit. I just literally feel sick to my stomach. Little AJ, totally naked, except bandaged around his hips and wrists as she berates her stepson horribly. And not only that, she videos it, berating him for teeting. I mean, I think the bigger deal you make out of bedwetting, the more nervous the child gets and wets the bed. I mean, every child is going to wet the bed up until a certain point. My husband was all about potty training. I said, David, trust me, they're not going to go off to college with a pull-up on. All right, It'll happen. And sure enough, it did. What, duct tape? Bleach? What else is in the home, Nicole? Right. And I listened to a portion of that audio of that cell phone recording, and you could hear little five-year-old AJ crying saying, I just want a family. Heartbreaking. He's saying, I just want a family. And she's yelling back at him, screaming back at him. Police also found in that home the plastic tape, bleach, those muddy tennis shoes of the father, all pointing to the tragic end of what had happened to little AJ. stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, social workers, CPS defects workers have just been charged criminally for turning the other way, refusing to act on the horrible abuse this little boy suffered his whole life at the hands of his stepmother and his father. I've got sound of her just berating him and you can hear him in the background. It's just awful. Take a listen to Chief James Black with the Crystal Lake PD. It is with heavy heart that the Crystal Lake Police Department reports that we've located what we believe to be the body of Andrew A.J. Friend uh, later this morning or earlier this morning. During the overnight hours, investigators with the Crystal Lake Police Department and the FBI interviewed both the mother, Joanne Cunningham, and the father, Andrew Friend Sr., after information was obtained through a forensic analysis of cell phone data. Once presented with the evidence obtained by investigators, both Joanne and Andrew Sr. provided information that ultimately led to the recovery, what we believe is the recovery, of deceased subject AJ. Investigators located what they believe to be AJ's body buried in a shallow grave wrapped in plastic in a row area of Woodstock, Illinois. The McHenry County Coroner's Office is on scene with the FBI Evidence Recovery Unit right now as we speak. The cause of death is unknown at this time and will be, be determined at a later date by the McHenry County Coroner's Office. And it leads to today. Take a listen to Chris Hush. WMAQ. After more than a year of intense scrutiny over the abuse investigation of AJ Friend, two former DCFS workers now face felony charges. 54-year-old Carlos Acosta of Woodstock, a child protection specialist on the case, and a McHenry County board member. 48-year-old Andrew Pullivan of Island Lake, a supervisor at the time. 
both facing two counts of endangering the life of a child and one count of reckless conduct. The indictments citing their actions that would lead to a proximate cause of death. I would call it extremely unusual. During his entire 29-year career as an attorney in Cook County, Public Guardian Charles Goldberg can't recall a case like this one. I hope we're not scapegoating individual workers um, for issues that are systemic and the fault of much higher up um, bureaucrats. You know what? I can't believe they even said that. I'm looking at the back and forth with defects in this case. It goes all the way back to June 7, 2012, a hotline call that Joanne Cunningham was neglecting her child. No credible evidence, says defects. June 14, a neighbor calls neglect, complaint unfounded. August 2012, they remove a foster child from her care. Um, then... The child goes back. Crystal Lake Police, October, they called the hotline after responding to a domestic abuse. Okay, DPEX declines to investigate. December 24, a hospital worker on October calls DFAX to report AJ's born with opiates in his system. Still, she has the baby. The mom gets custody again, October 21. It just keeps going and going and going and going. What happened, Nicole Parton? It's completely unbelievable. Police were called to the home 17 times on allegations of drug use and child abuse. Doctors had called the hotline in reporting that they thought there was abuse happening to little A.J., DCFS visited the home two times. We had at least 10 hotline, hotline calls that were called in to report the abuse. Joanne Cunningham was known by the Department of Children and Family Services. AJ was born with heroin in his system. So he suffered from day one, Nancy. This baby suffered from the very moment that he entered this life. When asked about bruises on AJ, remember the mom, the stepmom said it was from a dog. But when AJ was asked, he said, and I quote, maybe someone hit me with a belt. Calls to defects 2012, 2018. A hospital social worker calls defects hotline after seeing odd bruising on AJ's face. You know, the other day, Lucy came home with a giant bruise on her leg. I'm like, what happened to you? And she told me it's from a soccer ball at school. AJ taken to emergency room after the mom found asleep in a car on drugs. After more attempts, now we're at April, the investigator found the boys. Defect says that they were, quote, clean, no maltreatment. It goes on and on. I mean, I, I, I can't even report them all. So Ashley Kelly, former defects worker, licensed clinical social worker, expertise child abuse. What went wrong here? That is an excellent question. Um, I did some research on um, Illinois in particular last night, um, and it looks like there is at least 100 deaths a year um, with touch points with DCFS, um, as well as 222 incoming reports um, that, that subsequently go out to the different units to go investigate. Um, I don't like making excuses. There's people that make uh, 
poor decisions on the job all the time. Um, but I can remember as a 22 year old fresh out of college doing this job um, and leaving the department with 98, 98 open investigations um, because of what, um, what we were given. And it's, it's very difficult to, even with a history of, of reports, to remove children. Um, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Well, I wonder sometimes. what the difference is in trying to remove a child and a child, and or putting in your report no maltreatment. I don't see any any problem here because during a search of deleted files on stepmom's phone police would find video after video of a badly injured AJ on a bare urine-soaked mattress, nude except for bandages. Um, The bruises on his face and body still, Defect says, no need for investigation, no mistreatment. I, I just want you to hear one of the deleted cell phone videos recovered by the FBI of stepmommy berating this little boy before he was murdered. So I take this to my school. For what? With who? Who are you going to get me in trouble with? Um, who do you think you're going to get me in trouble with? I, I think I'm getting you in trouble with... AJ, remember. Yes. When you tell the truth, you don't have to pause to answer. Who do you think you're going to get me in trouble with? It's me. With you? You think I'm going to get in trouble with you? Are you my boss? Are you my parent? No. Why would I get in trouble with you? You are hearing the parents berating AJ. It goes on and on because he had said, basically, if you don't quit beating me, I'm going to get you in trouble. Nicole Parton, what were the conditions of AJ's discovery? How was his body found? They found AJ in a shallow grave uh, wrapped in plastic where he had been buried hours and hours after his death because once he died, Um, His father had placed him in a plastic container, left him in the house while he went to the grocery store to purchase tape and bleach and plastic, came back home and removed AJ's body, wrapped him in plastic, taped it up, and drove out uh, to an abandoned field where he buried him hours after his death. What are the charges, Nicole, against the defects workers? Uh, They're being charged with failure to protect AJ. Um, Carlos Acosta, 54, was the supervisor of the case manager. He's also um, a McHenry County board member. And Andrew Povaline, 48, was the case manager in the case, and they both charged with failure to protect him. Let's see how far that goes with the county board member being charged. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they can all rot in hell right along with the parents. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash nancy. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible, Easy Breathe. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed or do-it-yourself kits available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com. Get 20% off today. Thank you, Easy Breathe, for being our partner.